So Stephen Carroll, would you please come up? Let's welcome these two. Sorry. Um, I, I'll start because I just want to say hello from both of us. Um, we, we don't see you very often. Every periodic time we get together, but um, we're always so blessed, and it's always such a celebration to us, not only to be back on this amazingly beautiful part of the planet, but also to be back with our true brothers and sisters in Christ from our own home church here at Wintonberry. And uh, I know that God has been faithful to us during this period of absence, and I know that he's been faithful to you too in your journeys. And uh, we just, another thing that we celebrate together always, whether we're together or apart, is just the impact of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel that has come to us, each one of us, if we know the Lord Jesus, and is happening in the world. And a verse that recently touched me deeply was uh, Colossians 1.6. <clears throat> all over the world, Ivory Coast, Bloomfield, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. Just praise God for the gospel, for Jesus Christ who died for us. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> you guys realize how lucky you are to live in this part of the world. It's incredible. And I just was talking to um, some friends, and they and they said that this has been an unusually beautiful fall. We were wondering if it was because we never, you know, we're hardly ever here. But it's been just incredible for us to to enjoy the beauty and the glory of God. You know, glory is what matters, and. Uh, when we see the, the beauty of, the, of this uh, world around us, it's, it makes us really understand uh, what really matters with this God that's created it and made it for us to enjoy. Um, <clears throat> this past July, Carol and I attended uh, the very first regional summit of our mission in Neustadt, Germany. And uh, it was the first summit because in the past we've had missionary retreats uh, but they've been um, just the missionaries that happened to be home on furlough, uh, on home assignment, would get together. This time they intentionally brought together all the missionaries from Africa, all the missionaries from Europe, and all the missionaries from the uh, Mediterranean basin that are working there. And so it was a wonderful time of sharing, of, of exchange, of, of uh, praying and hearing, uh, meeting everybody. Our, even our denominational president was there, Scott Wrightout. <coughs> and uh, by the way, for those of you who might not know, uh, we're missionaries with Converge, of which this church is a member. That's the association of, of churches. Is that me? Okay, it was, it was rubbing against my beard. Is that it? Is that, is that better? Okay. We'll just bring it out a little bit. Okay. Good thing I took this class in seminary, how to put it on. Yeah. <laughs> He's younger than I was, and I didn't have that class. <clears throat> they didn't have these things when I was going through seminary. But anyway, um, Converge's denomination, uh, of which we're part, and uh, so the meetings were there, and one of the purposes of that meeting was to, to get as, us all as missionaries on, on board with the new vision of the mission. And I'd like to show you what the vision of the mission is. Uh, the vision of our the new vision of our mission uh, is that we are asking God for a gospel movement among every least reached people group in our generation. Now that's a mouthful, and it's it's actually humanly impossible, as you can already realize. But um, I, I just think that you know when when we normally see something like that in a local church in America, we're thinking. Um, yeah, that's a great, I, I love it. Amen for all the missionaries that are out there doing that. Um, but um, what I'd like to do this morning is ask the question and try to answer it. Is that, is that vision appropriate? Is it, does it have implications for, for me, for you, for Wintonberry? 
So let's look at that this morning together. <clears throat> Probably most of us here this morning know what the Great Commission is. Uh, but it came actually in several forms. And the very first form of the Great Commission happened in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. And I'd like to, uh, we're going to read several scriptures together today. So I'd like you to read it with me uh, together, okay? On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Um, can you I'd like you to just put yourself there. Put yourself in the disciples' seat. Put yourself in Jesus' seat. Think about what this meant to Jesus. Uh, what he just did. He, he just defeated death. He just paid for every sin of every person that will ever live on the earth. He just provided the opportunity for us to not only be forgiven, but to be declared righteous and to be clothed in his beauty. To be brought into the family. Forgiveness lets us go out Justification and adoption bring us in. We, we're in the family. And Jesus did, there's so many, I mean, we could you know, talk about the gospel here for an hour, but that's what, he just said, it is finished, the work that he came to do. He was sent by the Father to do a work, and he, he, did, he finished it, and it's done. And now what? So the very first thing, the passion of Jesus is on his heart, is what? Get this message out. Get it to Everybody. Get it to every possible person on the planet. And so, so he says, Peace be, to you, be with you, and as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, who was he speaking to? Is that all? He was speaking to us, right? So if he was speaking to us, I would like to ask you a question this morning. Does the idea that Jesus sent you, sent Wintonberry, that he said this to us, is that something that's in our, in our minds? Is it something that's in our hearts? Is it part of our identity to be sent ones? Is sentness a part of my identity as a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you see yourself as sent by Jesus? So this morning I'd like to just to let it sink home in our hearts by asking you to repeat after me a phrase, okay? Ready? I am sent by Jesus in the same way that the Father sent him. Wintonberry is sent by Jesus in the same way that the Father sent him. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So the very first time Jesus gets together with the disciples, what does he say? I'm sending you. The very last time before he ascends into heaven, what's he saying? I'm sending you. What's on Jesus' heart? What's his passion? What's his, what does he love to do? What does he want us to love to do? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now this is, Jesus is saying, this, where is this supposed to be done? Where, where, are we, where am I sending you? Where? So Judea, Jerusalem is our local thing. Judea, obviously, is the region. Samaria is crossing a culture that's close to us, but different than us. And then, uh, and then the ends of the earth are the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is saying to all of us as disciples, and all of us as local churches, uh, not finish Jerusalem and then Judea, but at, at the same time, I want you to be thinking about all of those places and, and being somehow involved in sending this amazing message that I just procured to those places around the world. Now, somewhere in between these two events, uh, 
we have this meeting of Jesus with the disciples on the mountain, on a, a mountain in Galilee. And we're going to read uh, the most famous uh, iteration, if you want to call it, of, uh, of, the, of the, uh, the Great Commission. Let's read it together. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So because of what Jesus just did, and because of his authority over all things, he commands us to make disciples of all nations. And he promises that in this impossible task, he's going to be with us every single day, all the way to the end. And the main task he's giving is what? Making disciples, right? A disciple is people who know, love, and obey Jesus. The target group is what? According to the NIV translation, the target group is the nations. The nations, right? Uh, what does that word mean? And so actually for the rest of our time, I'd like to talk about that word, what it means, and if there's any implications for us as, as individuals and as a church. Um, when we see the word nations, what do we tend to think of? Geopolitical entities, right? U.S., Canada, Congo, France, uh, Indonesia. Uh, but the word in Greek is uh, ta ethne. We're going to look at it in just a moment. Uh, and the meaning of this word in this context is different than, what, than geopolitical entities. It's different than that. So what is it? We're going to look at a three-minute video uh, because that can give, say it a lot faster, better, and more, with more beauty than I can say it. So we're just going to uh, watch this video for three minutes, explain what it is. Today, and the world's refugees and international students 
significant for us is clear that the task stands before us. So let's just do a little review. A, peop a people group is a group that has a common sense of history, language, beliefs, or identity, or a combination of those. So the idea for Christian, for, for Christian work is if the gospel were to begin spreading in that group, it could spread without major obstacles. People would understand, and it, it could go rapidly. There could be a movement, a gospel movement, which is what the vision is. There's approximately how many people groups in the world? Anybody get that? 16,000. Uh, there's different figures put out there, but there's a lot. Let's put it that way, okay? Uh, and unreached people groups, UPGs, is a people group within which less than 2% of the group is evangelical Christian, so that there are too few real believers to reach the rest of the group without outside help. That's the idea. And there's about how many of those, according to this thing? About 7,000, right? And that's uh, anywhere from 2 to 3 billion people are still in the unreached people groups. And then half of those, according to this, are called unengaged unreached people groups, UUPGs, means that there are, are no churches, there are no believers, there are no missionaries, and there's no one actively engaging them to try to reach them. Uh, and so there's how many of those? About 3,000 of those exist. So... Summing up, I think we can say, unless you disagree, that when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he meant that we are to make disciples of all people groups in the world, right? Now let's look at Revelation 7, 9, and 10 together. Let's read it together. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb so jesus blood has purchased every one of those people from every single tribe. Every sin is paid for. And some people from every one of those people groups are going to be around the throne worshiping Jesus right now and in the kingdom. So let's look at Matthew 24, 14. Let's read it together. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the word nations in this is the same word, ta ethne, in this, in this verse, and it means people group. So no matter how you interpret this verse, and there's lots of different interpretations, one thing is certain, and that is before the end of time, before the, the kingdom of God is established on earth, every single people group will have been reached. So it's, it's kind of like it's a done deal. It's going to happen. So uh, what part are we able and privileged to play in that? Now, how do we tend to think about the Great Commission in general? <clears throat> and I'm talking about myself. When we think about obeying Jesus' words uh, in Matthew 28 or any of these things uh, to make disciples of, of all peoples, uh, we tend to think uh, of winning as many individuals as possible in those locations, right? Isn't that the way we tend to think of it? It's the way I tend to think of it. So, uh, you know, we, we're working in Bloomfield. We have a wonderful lady that gave a testimony yesterday, Marcia. And uh, she has a vision to reach Bloomfield with the gospel. <laughs> it's a, it was an amazing testimony that she, how God is, is leading her in her life. And her goal is to see as many people as possible in Bloomfield hear the gospel of Jesus. And that's a good thing. It's a great thing. But um, if what we're saying is true this morning, that that's not uh, just going after every single person in an area is not, is not exactly what Jesus said, or at least we could say it's, it's an incomplete picture. Of course we want to see as many people as possible come to know Jesus, and he does. But in terms of people groups, Jesus loves all the people in all the groups, and he wants us to be thinking also about not just all the people that can be reached, but all the people groups that are, that are around us 
that are in this region and that are in the rest of the world and making disciples of every one of those as well. He wants us to see, he wants to see a gospel movement in each of the thousands of unreached groups that are scattered around the world right now. And we are commissioned as a church to start gospel movements in every people group in the world. Now, how did the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, understand uh, this command of Jesus? Let's look at Romans 15 and see what he said. Let's read it together. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me, to work in these regions, dot, dot, dot. Okay, so we, Paul's saying that he proclaimed the gospel fully to, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, which is north of, of Greece, and it includes modern Albania, Montenegro, Bosnia, and Croatia. We don't, we don't have anything, any record of him doing that, but he apparently did it. Okay, but he, and then he says, um, there's no more place for me to work in these regions. What? Think about it. All of modern Turkey, all of Greece, all of uh, the Middle East there, the, from Jerusalem to the north, Syria, Lebanon, all that, he said there's no more place for me to preach in these regions. What's, what in the world is he talking about? Clearly, every town and village of that region didn't have a local church yet. Uh, but Paul considers the entire region reached. So it seems clear that he had strategically targeted various people groups in, that, in those regions and considered them able now to reach the rest of those regions with the gospel. And so now he feels the burden on him of obeying Jesus' command to go to the unreached, the people that have never yet heard. And so he wants to go on to Europe and Spain and continue the work of reaching the unreached. So, um, and remember, all of that took place in 10 months, uh, 10 years. 10 years was, was Paul did all of that. Um, the Holy Spirit did all of that through Paul and the apostles. So, as we think about the Great Commission, uh, I'm just asking myself and you, do we tend to think about it this way? And maybe the Lord wants us to change our thinking, to repent of our other thinking, and change into the way that Jesus is thinking about it, the way that Paul thought about it, but the apostles were thinking about it. One thing that it's important to point out about Paul and the other apostles uh, and their understanding of the mandate to make disciples of all peoples is that the disciples that they made they knew had to have the same understanding as they did if it was going to continue, right? So um, in, uh, in, uh, after 18 months of having planted the church in Thessalonica, and, uh, remember there were no believers there, I mean, uh, he planted a church, 18 months later there was persecution. First Thessalonians 1.8 he says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, okay, Achaia is Turkey, Macedonia is Greece, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. 18 months after being saved, being taught, these guys were already out all over the place proclaiming the gospel. Paul thanks God in his letter to the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until that moment when he wrote it. Because Paul was, from the very beginning of his ministry, he was inculcating the Great Commission in his disciples. And the Great Commission wasn't just go and reach all the people you can, but all the people groups that are, that are out there. The Colossian church was not planted by Paul, but by his disciples. So the end game of making disciples is that they will not only make disciples themselves, but that these disciples will also have as a priority in their disciple-making to make disciples of all people groups, Right? So I'm asking myself as I prepared and, I, and I'm giving this message is how can I in my evangelism and disciple making make sure that these disciples that I'm forming understand this? 
and are living it in their life. Uh, because I have to be honest in that, you know, as a missionary, this has not been central to my, the way I've, I've made disciples in the past. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're, we're training missionaries now, so it is. But for many years, I planted churches, uh, and, that, and those churches don't have a missionary vision. It's my fault. It's part of my, my, my responsibility. So what about priorities and urgency? Priorities and urgency. Ralph Winter, whom God used back in 1974 to change worldwide mission strategy from a focus on political boundaries to a focus on distinct people groups, said this, all men are equally lost, but not all men are equally needy. Roughly 30% of the world, let's say, about 2.1 billion people have little or no access to the gospel. They have no Bible, they have no workers, they have no churches, they have no presentation of the gospel that is relevant to them, that they can understand to respond to. It's been said, it's said that 86% of the Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus of the world, and that's uh, a huge, the great majority of the world's population, don't have a Christian friend. So roughly 3% of the 400,000 full-time missionaries in the world today are working with these other unreached people groups. And, and the statistic is that only 1% of even missions giving is going to that effort. Not trying to make us feel guilty, okay? And I'm not sure how accurate all these statistics are, but there's, let's put it this way, there's a great need, right? So all men are equally lost, but not all men are equally needy. God loves equally the people that are lost in our town and city and region as those who have never heard and who have no access to a gospel presentation that they understand, they can understand. But the question is, are these two groups equally needy? Without judging ourselves, each other, I'm not judging me or you this morning, I think it's okay to ask, so what are we to do about that? As leaders of the church, as people in the church, what are we what are we supposed to do about, about that? And is it okay to ask the question, are we doing the very best we can to allocate our, our talent, our treasures, our time uh, in, in doing what Jesus has asked us to do? What are our priorities in light of Jesus' mandate? Back in July, Andre pointed out in his message, that, uh, which was a great message, and uh, I just hope you appreciate what a great preacher you have in this church. Um, after, in, Jesus, in the middle of Jesus' three years of ministry, he turned from uh, his, his work with the masses, healing, delivering people, teaching, to focus primarily on training the disciples. Remember? Remember that message? You were there? And, uh, and, and yet, there were lots of people that needed to be delivered. There were lots of people that needed to be healed. There were lots of people that needed to hear more. But Jesus turned, and because of a priority, he, he looked at a different way of, uh, he, 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 had, he decided he had to do his, train his disciples to get ready. So we as believers can do that, right? We can think about what are our priorities as a church, as, as an individual, as a family, uh, in obeying the command of Jesus and doing what is his passion. One video I watched uh, talked about the idea of triage, uh, it's a medical term in, from French uh, that means to assign degrees of urgency of care during a crisis. You've heard of that, right? Okay. So if you're a medical professional and you come on a bus accident where there's 40 people injured, uh, what do you do? You look, at the, you look around and you think, okay, here's a person with a broken finger. He needs to be cared for, right? She needs to be cared for. But then there's a person over there that got cut and is bleeding out. So who do I go to first? The person that's bleeding out, right? So, I mean, in the logic of this is some parts of the world, some people groups in the world are bleeding out. And they need help right now. So does that mean that we stop everything we're doing? No, <laughs> it doesn't. But, uh, of, but I think we're, we're seeing that we need to ask the question, uh, about our priorities and about the urgency. <clears throat> so if there is an urgency and a priority for us to be involved in, the, in, in seeing disciple-making or gospel movements among the least-reached peoples of the world, what practically can we do? 
So here's a church. Uh, this book was, is in Andre's library. I'm sure he'll let you borrow it. He let me borrow it. It's a, it's a, it's a story about a church, and uh, it's a good read. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and it's about a church in Atlanta, Georgia, about 250 people in 1990. And they felt God calling them to adopt a people group. The people group was uh, the Bosnian Muslims, Muslims in Bosnia. <clears throat> and at, at the time, it was, it was Yugoslavia. They decided to target the city of Sarajevo, which had a population at the time of 600,000, with only three churches in it, with less than 100 people in those churches. And that was their strategic site. But then the war broke out, so they couldn't go there. But then they were still felt God leading them to, to pursue it. And so they found out that there were 3,500 Bosnian Muslims in a refugee camp in northern Croatia. And so they uh, checked with Croatian Christian leaders, uh, and they asked if they thought that it would be good for them to go in and to that camp and help. And, th and they said yes. So over the next seven months, they sent 12 teams every uh, uh, for two week teams to go into that place very difficult it was snowing there were tents the the facilities were terrible they they they, they had to go in there and suffer and what they did is they, they distributed food they uh they taught english they talked with people they became friends they showed the jesus film and at the end of that seven months uh there were un quite a number of bosnian people who had uh, who had trusted christ And one uh, Croatian uh, leader, Christian leader, said uh, that there were more Bosnian Muslims that came to faith in the first six months of that effort in the refugee camps that had been, than had been converted in all of Bosnia for the previous 50 years. Simple effort. Sacrificial, but simple. Because they just thought, this is what God is telling us to do. After the war, the church continued to send short and long-term workers to help local believers to reach Bosnian Muslims, and they started to help establish churches that included Bosnians, Croatians, and, uh, and um, what are the other, what's the other group? Uh, Serbs, who are natural enemies, uh, but again, showing the, the, the church showing the power of the gospel to bring reconciliation among, among enemies. Now, Northside also mobilized over the, these years from 1992 to 1998, eight long-term missionaries from their local church who were working full-time with the Bosnians. The church grew from 250 to 450. Their missions budget grew from 89,000 to 700,000 annually. Meanwhile, during that same period, the leaders of the church planted three other sister churches in Atlanta. And, uh, and if you read the book, the, the guy is, he's not saying, you know, do what we did, we're, we're great. He's very humble. And all he's, all he's saying is, we just did the next thing that God showed us to do. They were listening. They, they, knew, they knew they needed to obey. They didn't know what to do. They chose something, and then God just took them step by step and did all of these amazing things. This past year, we were blessed to participate with Wintonberry in reaching a village uh, in, Guan, in uh, Western Ivory Coast called Guane, uh, where there was not one Torah believer. Now, the Torah people are an unreached people group in Ivory Coast, and, uh, and they, there are a lot of villages where the Torah is, uh, is their native village, but there's other groups that have come in because it's agricultural, and they've, uh, Christians have come in and started, other, started churches. So there's evangelical churches in these villages, but there's no Torah believers. They don't go to those other churches. And uh, in fact, this Guane had been resistant to the gospel for generations, and even to the point of stoning uh, people that would come in and try to share the gospel with them. So God laid it on the hearts of, uh, of the, the pastor that we worked with that has sent missionaries to our missionary training school, uh, to, to make a plan. And so uh, the plan was that uh, believers from a church in Iowa, River's Edge, Tammy Barlow from our church, uh, Ivorian Sunday school teachers from all over the western region of Ivory Coast, um, missionaries that were from in our training school and missionaries that were out uh, deployed already in the region came together, uh, new converts from one of the churches that was planted by one of our missionaries, older believers from several churches, five Ivorian members of Child Evangelism Fellowship, as well as uh, pastors and other leaders, and a lot of women that came to make meals for all those 500 kids that we, we served. Um, so we, uh, in, that, in that week, we, in the week that we were there in the village, uh, we, we uh, shared the gospel basically through a VBS type of scenario with 500 school children, elementary school children, uh, written, uh, of materials that were written by 
Felicia and her sister. Uh, and uh, and over at the end of that time, after all of this effort, uh, and by the way, there's a lot of resistance, uh, as you can imagine, uh, from the dark side, from, from the spiritual forces. Um, at the end of that time, over 300 children raised their hand to receive Christ, and there were 11 Torah adults that accepted Christ as their Savior. And Amen. Amen. Uh, today, there's a full-time missionary in the house that we also built with funds from Wintonberry and from, uh, from the church in Iowa. Uh, we built a missionary house where the church meets right now. There's, uh, every Sunday, there's about 25 adults uh, in, in the church and also uh, about 40 children that come regularly. And there's a lot of interest in the village for what's happening. God is really working, uh, and there's a lot of resistance as well. Now, I want you to know, we didn't have a big plan to reach the tour with the gospel. You know, we're just, we were just there, and we were doing something, and God said, do this. And uh, that's when I learned about how unreached the, the tour people were, and that's when we, uh, this Iowa church took the initiative. They wanted to come, and so the, the Lord just did these step-by-step-by-step by step by step little things, and, uh, and he reached an unreached uh, village with the gospel through our simple obedience in taking the next step. And, uh, you know, I want you to know that we're actually planning another trip uh, exclusively um, with Wintonbury at the end of February. It's a two-week trip. And we're going to be going to the, to the next-door village to Guane called Guiane. And the reason we're, we're going there is because the chief of the canton, a canton is a, is a region of many villages. Uh, and uh, so this guy has, there's only, two, there's only two chief of canton. There's a north and a southern one and the Tura people. We this northern one says, uh, grabbed our missionary and said, why did you plant a church in Guane and not in my village? He said, if you plant a church in my village, I'll come. He's not a believer, uh, so, but, he's, but the Lord is working in this closed, closed, closed people group to open the doors for the gospel. So we're going to go for two weeks. We're going to live in the missionary house that we built last, last year. And uh, there's no electricity. There's no running water. It, it, there's an outhouse. And we're going to have four walls around us, but it's going to be like camping and, uh, and, uh, and we want to invite anybody who's interested to go with us to, to sign up on the table in the back. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're welcome to consider. Ask the Lord if that's something that he would like you to do. And there's a lot more information we could give you. So what else could someone uh, or a church do? We've given a couple examples. A simple place to start is found in the following video. I'd just like you to show this video with some ideas that are given here. So, learn, pray, go, send, welcome, mobilize. Uh, it's possible for every person, every believer to do one or more of those things, right? Um, the perspectives course, which, uh, how many of you have taken the perspectives course here? Oh, okay. 
sign you up. There, there's one happening in Valley Community beginning on January 23rd, and it goes till May 15th. It happens one night a week or every other week. I can't remember. And uh, it is a great, great, great way to get to learn about everything about missions, history, modern missions, old missions, uh, what's going on, strategies, everything. It's just really a great, great, great opportunity. So I encourage you, if you haven't done that and you have the possibility of going, to, to do that. Converge.org is the name of our de 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 the website of our denomination. There's lots of information on that as well. And, and I was telling uh, Andre and, uh, that there's a, there are teams of people from Converge that are willing to come and do a little, I think it's a one or maybe two day, I can't remember, uh, seminar conference with, with Wintonberry uh, and, uh, and help you uh, look at the DNA of Wintonberry. Who are you? What, what, has God, what has God put on your heart? What kind of ministries are you, do you have? What kind of experience in ministry do you have? What kind of passions do you have? And, uh, and, and then they, they help you match that with, with the unreached peoples of the world. And, uh, and so uh, like the Duff ministry that Andre was talking about, uh, God's doing that, uh, and uh, and there's there's a, a group in Togo uh, right next to us, uh, uh, missionaries that are working there, and they're going to be starting a deaf ministry. So I mean, there's you know with an unreached group, and so there's just just so many ways that that that, that we could learn about about ways that we can be involved. Uh, there's so many other op opportunities for learning, uh, praying. <clears throat> I want to propose to you if you don't have this book, Window on the World. You've heard of uh, Operation World, which is every country in the world uh, to pray for it. It gives history, uh, current things that are going on, prayer requests, Thanksgiving things. If that's a really, that's a big mosto to monzi in French, to, a big thing to eat. Uh, but um, th this is, this is a, a smaller version for children like me, and Carol and I are using this uh, uh, in Ivory Coast to pray. Uh, it's just every day there's, there's pictures and uh, statistics and things to pray for about different people groups of the world, some of the targeted people groups of the world. I encourage you, if you don't have it, there's on, they're on the back table. I think they're $15, and Felicia's the one that's uh, organizing that. Um, there's other things you can pray about. I remember uh, Wintonberry years ago uh, kind of adopted the Wolof people, uh, and right now there's a new initiative in our mission called uh, the Senfel, Sen, Sensahel Initiative, and they, they need people to pray with them. That's one of the things they need. As prayer, as prayer warriors, as they're going to be reaching specifically the, the, the uh, Wolof people, there's 6 million people, that's only 100 believers in a, in among 6 million people, and the Fulanis as, in, in that area. So that's another way. Uh, going, short-term trips, some of you uh, could come this week, this, this uh, February, rather. Uh, there's term missions. Uh, one of my, uh, our recruiters at the missions said to me to challenge people to give a tithe of their life to to, uh, to reach unreached people groups. And uh, that would be, if you live to 80, that's eight years. Uh, if you want to give only uh, you know, half of a tithe, five, five, uh, four years. Four years, sorry. Half of eight. And, uh, but then, of course, there's career missions. And, uh, and even like Rebecca Berger is a career missionary, a young person. It's not the, the day of career mission is not older for, over for young, younger people. Uh, we're old, but we're still doing it. And there's a lot of opportunities for younger people. Ascending, uh, encouraging, visiting, friendship, uh, giving to projects, welcoming universities, immigrants. Uh, you can you just you know call Hartford University, find out what uh, what countries are represented, and what and uh, there's a there's I found out by looking at a website called peoplegroups.info that there's significant groupings of Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and Japanese in the Greater Hartford area. Uh, there's a thing called Diaspora Ministries. The idea is. If you reach, if you become a friend of a Muslim and over the course of a period of time you lead them to Christ, you make a disciple. The idea of diaspora ministries is you're making a disciple that, that God could send back to that closed door place and, and reach with the, with the gospel. Uh, mobilizing. Each one, raise one. Making a disciple who makes a disciple. That's the idea of mobilizing uh, someone that has a vision for reaching the unreached. Uh, just in closing here, you know one danger in preaching a message like this is that it will be information overload or that people will feel motivated emotionally uh, because of injustice you know why are we doing this we ought to do this uh, it's possible to make decisions and plans of actions that are not based on the right motive um, a christian leader said once that we are 
anxious that people should hold the absolute truth concerning him. So I could say, I, I want you to know this stuff, right? But he is anxious that souls should love him. Jesus wants our love first of all. It's easy to make action steps and plans and have priorities that grow out of new information or truths that we hear. But what Jesus desires is that our plans and priorities be motivated and powered by our love for him and his love for us. The only real and enduring motivation and empowerment for the difficult work of reaching the least reached for Jesus or for any sustained obedience to the Lord, in fact, is that we are experiencing regularly God's grace in our lives uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The love that grows through an ongoing, regular, by-faith experience of his costly love for me as a needy, broken, often failing sinner is the thing that keeps me going for, in hard things. It's the thing that keeps us going in obedience, in the long-term obedience. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Let's read it together. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. To the degree that I am daily experiencing Christ's costly, unconditional love for me as a sinner saved by grace, to that degree, my plans, my work, will be lived by him and for him, and not by myself and for myself. Because I have done a lot of ministry by myself and for myself. And it's through the daily experience of his grace in the gospel, which the Holy Spirit is making real to our hearts, that I will persevere through obstacles and sufferings which I encounter as I attempt to obey Jesus on a daily basis. David Bosch, a missiologist, said this, <clears throat> Mission in the New Testament is more than a matter of obeying a command. It is rather the result of an encounter with Christ. To meet Christ means to be carried away by a mission to the world. The mission is a privilege in which we participate. Paul's mission is the logical consequence of his encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. So Paul can say honestly, authentically, in Philippians 1.21, Christ is my life, and death is a gain to me. Philippians 3, 7, All I desire is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering, to be made like him in his death. Jesus' love for Paul and his love in return for him was the thing that pushed him to suffer and sacrifice everything so that as many people as possible could come to know this one that, that has done so much for him, that he loved so much. 2 Timothy 2.10 says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the chosen, so that they, too, may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. I like what the guy said on that last video. He said, As I've fallen in love with my wife, I've begun to love some of the things that she loves. Some of the things that orbit her heart are now starting to orbit mine. If this, what we've heard this morning, is, is one of the things that Jesus loves, that he loves the world and he loves the people group of the world. If that's what he loves, then that's enough for me. That's enough for you to give our lives to it, to love what he loves. So maybe one action step coming from this morning might be to say to Jesus, Lord, I want to love you more so I can love what you love. Make the reality of your love more real to my heart. I need that. I don't know about you. I need to remind myself, I need to be reminded by the Holy Spirit on a regular basis that he loves me and delights in me, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So if you leave today only with some new information, an action plan, or you leave feeling guilty, God forbid, this message will have been a failure. But if you leave with the goal of falling more deeply in love with Jesus so that what is important to him becomes important to you and becomes a passion and a goal of your life, then this message will have succeeded. <clears throat> so why don't uh, each of us, and let's just look at the, the, the last slide one more time. We are asking God for a gospel movement among every least reached people group in our generation. So, can that be part of our vision?
let's ask the Lord, uh, just everyone quietly, uh, what is he saying to, to you about this, what he said to us this morning? And then I'll close in prayer. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear the, their iniquities. Lord, <coughs> amazing your... your uh, your work for us, it's, it's beyond our understanding. The angels long to look into it. Uh, but Lord, we want, to, we want to understand it more. We want it to, to be real to our hearts that you love us, that you've done so much for us. We want to enter deeply into the knowledge of your love, which, is, which surpasses knowledge, and, and grasp it more so that our hearts uh, are compelled to love what you love and to be willing to go all the way to sacrifice and even martyrdom, Lord, to, to bring out the gospel to people that have never heard the wonderful message of your love for them, of what you've done for them, that the work is finished and all they have to do is receive the Savior. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the, the, the third verse of, of, of it as well. When, when Satan, though Satan should buffet, the trial should come. Let this blessed assurance console that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Lord, may, may that truth so uh, change our hearts every day, all throughout the day, that, that there's no sacrifice, that there's no temptation, that there's nothing that, that uh, we're not able to stand against in your power because uh, we know that you love us and it's been shown at the cross and by the resurrection. We, we love you and we thank you. We pray, Lord, for your application of your truth to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.